everybody. Welcome to episode number 107 of the Between the Cracks podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, the BTC World Tour continues tonight. We may never get back to the United States. <laughs> I don't even remember where the hell we just were. <laughs> well, we, we were dealing last week with the um, the guy, the cannibal down in uh, Argentina, and then uh, the week prior to that, I think we were in Africa or Australia. We've been all over the place. But with that said, tonight we're headed to perhaps the most remote location we ever dared to explore. That's right, bud. Tonight we are headed to the Isle of Man to discuss none other than Jeff the Talking <laughs> Mongoose. The story is exactly what it sounds like. We will be talking about a mongoose that goes by the name of Jeff that supposedly was able to speak in English and therefore be able to communicate with human beings. Now, I know this sounds very far-fetched, and to call a spade a spade, it sounds like bullshit, doesn't it, Chris? <laughs> That's exactly what it sounds like. But, and I think you might agree with me here, pal, as we dive into this case a little bit more tonight, things start to take a little bit of a creepy turn, don't they? Oh, yeah. I uh, When I started reading this story, I uh, became a little uneasy, I, I want to say, because some of the things that we're going to mention, let's just put it this way. If this were to happen to you, I doubt you would uh, think this mongoose was a cute... Yeah, absolutely. There are two conclusions that we can draw at the end of this case, but both of them are quite unnerving, Chris. Am I right? Gerbil boy. <laughs> gerbil boy. Gerbil boy. Uh, well, I don't know where the gerbil came from. <laughs> Wheels are off. <laughs> this this really may be the last episode, Chris. <laughs> but nonetheless, am I right? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, you are right. But um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I think you were referring to the to the uh, two possible outcomes. <laughs> One involving a gerbil. Chris, please, I've gone to the dentist today. My, my, my mouth is completely numb. It's 10 degrees out here in a BTCRF. We must move on. I'm in no mood to be doing this episode tonight, so we have to move on. We, we must do our due diligence and get started with tonight's episode. I will not stand for anything less. Now, Chris, as we always say around here, we need to go backwards in order to go forward. Now, bud, how the hell did this mongoose get to the Island of Man? And more importantly, how the hell did he start talking to people? Well, for me to tell you that, uh, I think we have to go back to the autumn of 1931. And this is where the Irving family live in a little farmhouse, which is known as the Dorlish Cashin, located in Dalby, in the Isle of Man. The family, which consisted of James, Margaret, and their 13-year-old daughter named Voiry, Suddenly, one day began hearing scratching and rustling sounds behind the walls. 
This led them to believe that perhaps there was a rodent infestation. (laughs) Well, I I don't think that would be too far-fetched to believe that there would be rodents because uh, we should note that this farmhouse was located on a very isolated piece of land. So who the hell knows what was roaming around in those fields? I looked at pictures of this place and honest to God, I didn't see any neighbors nearby. So, I mean, there could be anything roaming in and out of this house. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, it kind of sets the the, the backdrop for uh, what we're going to be talking about. Because all in all, I mean, it is a beautiful place, but there is a bit of an ominous vibe. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. So right now we have a family of three. We have James, uh, the wife Margaret, and the young daughter Voiry. And what we learn is that at this time in their life, they were struggling somewhat financially because this is after World War I and James had apparently started a new career as a farmer and they moved out to the Isle of Man. Prior to this, he was doing what you do for a living, Chris. He was a piano salesman. And uh, I guess huh? after that career kind of shit the bed for him after World War I or during World War I, he uh, then went on to uh, get this idea to uh, begin the life of a farmer in the Isle of Man. And apparently, even though they lived in this beautiful area, they were isolated, as we said. And in addition to that, they were having financial issues too. So you couple those things together where you don't have much of a support system and then you have financial issues on top of that. It can kind of set itself up for a very stressful existence. Now you throw a couple of rats in your wall on top of that all of a sudden, you feel like the wheels are coming off your life. <laughs> That's all it takes is one good rat infestation. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they hear this kind of like rustling in a wall. And James, the father, he started setting traps and he was uh, attempting to catch this thing. But he was having no luck. And he continued to hear this little rodent crawling throughout the walls. And he came up with the idea that, all right, I'm going to try to scare it out of this house by growling. So, James, I don't know if he punched a hole in the wall or how the hell he was getting into this wall or if there was a hole in the wall initially. But anyway, he sticks his uh, little face in there and he begins growling at this thing. But it's at that point, Chris, that something very odd happens. (laughs) Whatever was in the wall growled back at old Jimmy. (laughs) Well, uh... That's a little disheartening. (laughs) And not only that, after a while, this thing that was in the wall began kind of making screeching sounds. And then here's the real kicker. Began talking in human-like voices. It was kind of repeating everything that Jim was saying. So this escalates very quickly. This goes from having a little rodent in the wall... Uh, that you can't catch, to uh, suddenly having this thing growl at you, now all of a sudden, you hear a human voice talking back to you from inside the depths of the wall. Now, this is no longer a laughing matter, Chris. (laughs) No, indeed. I think I would have had the flamethrower out by now. Seriously, especially if you're on this isolated island, your mind must be going crazy. So anyway, Chris, let's get back to this. Uh, Apparently, from Jim's account, 
these voices continued for weeks. So as time progressed, this thing just stopped mimicking whatever Jim was saying and began to have some form of conversation with him. He did say that the thing was speaking English, but it didn't necessarily have a human voice. It was kind of squeaky. It was about two octaves higher than the average human voice. So Chris, riddle me this. What the hell's going on here? Well, uh, this talking mongoose is about to reveal himself, reveal his identity, who he truly is. And that, of course, is Jeff, which he tells them because he can speak. And in this little high-pitched, squeaky voice, as you have mentioned, he basically says that he is an earthbound spirit um, and that he's an extra, extra clever mongoose. Of course, he must be if he's fucking talking to you. Uh, he says that he's actually from New Delhi, India, and he was born in 1852. So this is quite a senior citizen of a mongoose. So this small rat-looking thing with yellowish fur and a large bushy tail is going around telling them that he's, in fact, named Jeff. And uh, we should also mention that Jeff actually takes a liking to Vori. And uh, when I say takes a liking to Vori, I mean almost to an obsessive point, which we will find out a little later on how things escalate a bit uh, in that regard. But one of the things that Vori would do was she would be singing these nursery rhymes and Jeff would recite them back and, you know, kind of enjoyed, I guess, being around Vori. In fact, Jeff actually stayed, his sanctum, as they call it, was in Vori's room was located, it was like on top of almost like a cabinet or something in the room. It was an elevated, like, perched area where this mongoose would stay in her room. Yeah, well, we said this was going to get a little dark, and uh, here we go. So, <laughs> so uh, just imagine, I mean, if this is indeed true, we don't know, but we're going to take the Irvings at their word for, uh, at this point in time. So, obviously, they must be in shock because they got a talking mongoose, and... Uh, First off, mongoose aren't indigenous to the Isle of Man. If this is indeed a true story, I'm assuming that Jeff would indeed be the only mongoose on the Isle of Man. And definitely the only talking mongoose on the Isle of Man. Perhaps the only talking <laughs> mongoose in the world. But remember we said that they were fairly isolated. There weren't even very many neighbors nearby. So if this was indeed going on, they really had no one to run to help for. They were really kind of just on their own. At this point in time. And if I were old Jimmy here, I'd have my hand on the trigger. <laughs> well, there was definitely uneasy times, especially at first, I think, with the Irvings, because they were getting the sense that Jeff didn't want them in the farmhouse and that that it was doing everything it could to scare them out. So it was a very uneasy time at first because this... <laughs> well. I'm saying uneasy as if it's normal to be having a, a talking mongoose in your house, but that he's acting strange as the weird part. Jeff is working his, his magic on all of us. We're, we're talking about this as if it's, as if it's possible. <laughs> we learn that he begins threatening the family in roundabout ways. For example, he would throw items at them. Uh, apparently he was throwing pins or rocks, whatever he could find or fit into his little grubby hands. And he would pick up these items and throw them at the family. And in addition to that, he would also verbally assault them and antagonize them. Now, Chris, I actually have quite a few quotes from uh, Jeff. And I'm going to read you some just so we can get into the mindset 
of what Jeff may have been thinking and or what the Irvings may have been going through at this point. So I'm going to put on my best mongoose voice here and see if I can get into uh, the character of Jeff himself. Here we go. I am not evil. I could be if I wanted. You don't know what damage or harm I could do if I were aroused. I could kill you all, but I won't. Now, Chris... If this four-legged, hairy little asshole had the balls to say that to me, I don't care. I wouldn't sleep until he was dead. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, that thing's going to go. So, Chris, uh, allow me to go backwards for a second because here's another quote from Jeff to kind of bounce off of what you were saying in regards to his affection or obsession with the daughter Voiry. Jeff says, and I quote, This is my home. It suits me. I have three attractions. I follow Voiry, Ma'am gives me food, and Jim answers my questions. <laughs> I mean, this guy's pushing it. He's pushing it. <laughs> I mean, I think Jeff's perhaps overstayed his welcome at this point. Overstayed his welcome indeed. So uh, with that said, did he just get up and go? Oh, no, he did not. In fact, when the relationship between Jeff and Voiry got a little uneasy for the Irvings, they decided that they wanted to move Voiry out of her room and into the room with Margaret and James. Well, Jeff had something to say about that. And here is an actual quote from James Irving. He actually says, on account of Jeff's menacing attitude, threats, and stone throwing, etc., we decided for safety's sake to remove Voiry's bed into our room and proceeded to do so. Whilst dismantling the bedstead, Jeff, who was behind the wainscot, screamed, stormed, and threatened what he would do to us. The voice was absolutely full of malice, hatred, and spleen, and he was striking the wainscot with his fist with the greatest violence. When the removal had been completed, in a high-pitched voice, fairly trembling with rage, he screamed out, I'll follow her wherever you move her. So at this point, you got to ask yourself, what are you going to do? You don't have the financial means to just get up and relocate. Uh, So they're pretty much stuck at this point. If they can't catch this creature and kill it somehow, they're stuck with this mongoose living within the walls of this house because they are having a hell of a time catching it. He's able to drift in and out of those walls, and he's just too fast, so they can't catch him. We have to obviously at this point think that this is got to be some sort of ghost or, I don't want to say it, but demon or something of that sort. Especially because with the fixation on the daughter, and there's been many other cases where a demon or a spirit of some sort, when they get fixated on a person, they don't ever stop. So uh, when they actually ask Jeff directly if he is a poltergeist, he uh, responds uh, saying... I am not like one of those. And uh, he says that he's more of a quote-unquote an Indian familiar. What the hell does that mean, Jeff? I was going to say, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) I mean, you're beating around that bushy tail of yours. (laughs) So, Chris, even though the hamlet of Dobby is quite isolated, believe it or not, word, oh, the talking mongoose, began to spread like wildfire, didn't it? Oh, it did. And uh, we know these small communities, 
there's always gossip. And not before long, word spreads all through the village that there's this talking mongoose in the Irving house. And uh, whether that's the attention that you want from the town, thinking that you're nuts, thinking that you're talking to some mongoose, or frightening. I mean, we're talking back in the 1930s. Remember, this is more of a realistic scenario with usually, I think, like ghosts and stuff like that are more believable, you know, like religion. and Absolutely. We're, to- we're talking almost 100 years ago. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, people could see this as a sign. They could they could see it as a curse. I mean, all sorts of things. But nonetheless, it gets, you know, so much attention that a investigator actually decides to come to the Doylish Cashin. Well, Chris, it's like the old saying goes, where there's smoke, there's Magu's hair. I don't think that's how it goes, but... <laughs> But right, you be. So we find out that there was a paranormal investigator by the name of Harry Price. And Harry Price here decides to send out one of his colleagues to investigate the matter. And that colleague's name was Mr. Harold Dennis. So old Dennis here, he goes out to uh, the farm. And I believe he spends upwards of a week with the Irving family. And his findings were quite telling Weren't they, Chris? Because he finds out absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, so he conducts several interviews with the Irvings uh, and also local residents because he, you know, he doesn't want just their accounts. Apparently, also, these local residents claim to have heard Jeff. I don't think they ever see him, but they there was times, I guess, where Voyery's walking... And they hear Jeff's voice talking to Vori, like, through the, the bushes while she's walking into town or whatever. So these are the local residents that are giving their accounts of that. They actually take a sample of hair, which had said to have been Jeff's, and it gets sent to the uh, Zoological Society of London. And uh, a, a plaster cast that James Irving apparently claimed to be of Jeff's teeth and Paws uh, gets sent to the Natural History Museum to be analyzed. They're doing a full-on investigation for a talking mongoose. <laughs> Unfortunately, the hair comes back uh, as dog hair from the Irving no, Sheepdog. No, 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 come on, man. Come on. <laughs> However, the origins of the plaster imprints, uh, they, they couldn't be determined. And so uh, they, they did find out that it didn't match any known animals that I guess the Natural History Museum had known of. And they said that it no way resembled the paws or teeth of a mongoose. Hmm. So now we've hit a bit of a snag in the believability of all this. But I find something very odd, and I I find a common denominator in all this, in every story that I've read, is that whenever Jeff's voice is heard, there's one person that's always around, isn't there? Yes. When... Continue, Chris. What were you going to say? Who is it? (laughs) Mongoose has got my tongue. (laughs) Um, Yes, uh, when, as I mentioned before, that people uh, had heard what they assumed was Jeff talking to Vori, and they they only seemed to have witnessed or heard this voice in the presence of Vori. 
Yeah, and that that's a little uh, troubling. Not to discount the story just yet, Chris, but you know, as we said, when these investigators were there, they never came across anything except for one time when one of the investigators claimed to have heard Jeff. Can you enlighten us on that? One evening when Harold Dennis was speaking with the Irvings, he mentions that we sat and talked until just about 11.45 p.m., and as nothing had taken place, I suggested making my way back to Glen May. Just as I had shut the door of the house, we heard a very shrill voice from inside scream out, Go away, who is that man? Mr. Irving gripped my arm and said, That's it. So he hears the voice, but he sees nothing. Am I correct? Correct. Uh, they heard the voice just as they stepped out of the house. And just like with many of these uh, ghosts investigators and uh, paranormal activity uh, investigators, they just, just miss seeing the entity. Uh, but of course, something crashes in the background. <laughs> and I mean, was Zach Baggins <laughs> filming here? Oh, oh, you could bet your sweet ass that if Bagans was uh, alive during this period, that uh, he would have uh, a mongoose with a bushy tail posted up on a shelf inside the museum. <laughs> Indeed, he would. Chris, uh, I-, I wanted to mention one thing, and believe it or not, I actually took a note here. At that Harry Price, the investigator, he said that he was in a room once with uh, just Voiry. And he heard Jeff speak through the wall. So he quickly surveyed the room, and one thing caught his eye. Boyrie's mouth was covered with her hand. So that begs the question here, Chris. Could Voyrie be up to something? Could the little 13-year-old be up to a no good? Well, I don't think we have uh, exactly any proof on the matter, but there is a very good suspicion that Voiry is a ventriloquist. Remember in the beginning, Chris, we said we had two possible scenarios here, and both were somewhat unnerving. Either you have a talking rodent on your hands... Or somebody here is pulling all of our legs. That may not seem so eerie, but when you're living alone on an isolated farm and begin threatening your family and the people that reside in this community, that definitely seems a bit sociopathic (laughs) or uh, at the very least unnerving. Being that she was only 13 years old, and if this truly was her, and she is that gifted of a ventriloquist, she was able to fool her own family and a lot of other people, that's just creepy as fuck. So that means this girl is literally talking, but you can't see anything coming out of her mouth. There's something wrong with ventriloquists, man. I have never, ever liked ventriloquists. I've said it on the show before. The scariest movie I've ever seen was in the 70s with um, Anthony Hopkins, and he plays a ventriloquist, and he's got this doll 
named Fats, and the thing slowly morphs into reality, and it begins physically attacking him and making him do these things. So you got that, and then you got that that freaking Madame doll that I spoke about a few weeks ago from Hollywood Squares. Nothing good comes out of ventriloquism. Nothing. It, it, it's creepy. It's like it's as if someone is talking inside of another person. Yeah, like there's a little person just talking inside. It's coming out of their mouth, but they're not moving their mouth. It's just yeah, the, the, freaky. The, the, there's <laughs> it's all bad. But uh, this uh, kind of takes on uh, a life of its own because there's actually a, a news article that's written about this, and uh, it has a picture of Voiry just standing in front of the farmhouse. And, I mean, it's creepy. It's very faded. Obviously, it's from the 1930s. But she's just standing there all by her lonesome in, in a doorway. And uh, the title of the article is Clue to Mystery of Talking Weasel. Schoolgirl may have powers of ventriloquism. And it goes on to talk about her living at Dorlish Cashin in pretty much isolation. And that kind of led to her forming... A dual personality. Oh my God, this is terrifying. <laughs> this went from kind of horrific uh, because there was a talking mongoose to still horrific if it's not a talking mongoose. And in fact, it was the daughter this whole time. I will have to say, we should, <laughs> just to go back and some of the funny things about Jeff and some of the things that they had mentioned about Jeff and uh this might lead you to believe that you would prefer Jeff over Vordery. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and apparently Jeff would stand guard on the house and tell them if visitors were coming. And if they had left the stove on, Jeff would go downstairs and turn it off uh, and uh, do some, you know, some good things. He was he was a good guy, apparently. Uh, if I was to take the two, I think I'm going with, uh, I'm going with Jeff here. You know, I, I was going to bring this up earlier, but I, I think now is as good a time as any. But I'm kind of glad I waited here because one of the stories about Jeff is that he would like to help out the family. And he would do that by going out and hunting rabbit to bring back food for the family to eat. But get this. He never used his claws or teeth to kill them. Chris, the rabbits were strangled by hand. So whoever was doing the murdering, oh, the little rabbits, was strangulating all of them. Call me crazy, but the little hands on this little rat Jeff, I don't think they'd be big enough to uh, asphyxiate a rabbit. Perhaps that'd be more suited for the hands of a 13-year-old ventriloquist. Chris, please say something. I don't know. I don't know if I like where you're heading with this, Bob. <laughs> but that's not it, because uh, there was rumors that Jeff was heading into town, and he would kind of collect gossip on things that were going on in the nearby village. But it seems that that gossip would only come back after Vori had also visited the nearby town. Hmm, it's a little bit of a correlation here. Yeah, there are some interesting parallels, aren't there? Uh, well, there's only one thing you could really do here. You have to get that daughter out of the house. 
<laughs> yeah, well, uh, one of the theories is that Voiri came up with this plan to kind of spook the family out due to the fact that she was so lonesome on this farm that she would do anything to move back to her former residence and live amongst uh, some kind of community again, rather than living out her teenage years in isolation. I mean, she would have the motivation to kind of get them to leave. What better way to get people to leave a house than have it being haunted? <laughs> Either that... Or uh, she was bringing her imaginary friend to life, being as that article had mentioned that perhaps she had a dual personality. Perhaps she was just talking to somebody that would listen. Oh, I mean, either way, this is very, very chilling. But uh, Chris, if Vori's goal was indeed to leave Darlish Keshin we find out that Voiri does indeed get her wish, but unfortunately it comes after her father, James, James Irving, passes away in 1945. Because it's at that point that Margaret, the mother, and Voiri, they end up selling the home at a loss due to the reputation of this place being haunted, from there, Margaret and Vori end up leaving Dalby. So, Chris, this was quite the costly ventriloquist act, or quite the costly mongoose encounter. And I, I'm leaning one way, Chris, but I'm going to reveal that at the end. But I, I do want to make note that from the time they tried selling the home, from James's death till the house was actually sold, there had been no sightings of Jeff almost as if he had disappeared once James Irving passed away and his family left. Or did he? But because something happens with the new owner of Darlish Cashin, doesn't it? Uh, yes, you are correct, because the new owner, who uh, was actor Leslie Graham, don't know who the hell that is, claims to have shot Jeff. And he actually uh, shows a picture of himself with this dead animal, which uh, appeared to be this black and white creature. But uh, upon seeing the pictures, Voiri says, uh, and she's quite adamant, I might add, that uh, the thing that Graham shot was not Jeff. And perhaps Voiri would know, because Voiri is Jeff. <laughs> Whoa. You just blew my mind here, Chris. I mean, uh, just, just to go back here for a second, uh, what the there's actually an article on uh, Mr. Graham, and there were a couple photos, as you had mentioned, uh, with uh, his prized uh, possession of this, this animal that he killed. But remember, the Irvings noted that Jeff was very tiny, almost rat size. And the thing that this guy kills is... From, from my vantage point, from this article, it looks like it goes from his knees to the upper portion of his hips. So it might be about two feet, two and a half feet in length. I mean, it, it looks to me like it could be a mongoose or, or a ferret or something along those lines or a, or a fisher cat. So I don't know. I'm not very familiar with mongooses, but this thing is fairly large. 
And uh, I, uh, I believe it's mongoose or mongai. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the hell it is, Chris, it's fairly large, but it does not seem to match up with the description of what Voiri and the Irvings had said Jeff looked like. So in my expert eye here, I'm going to say that I don't believe that this is Jeff. I don't think Jeff was killed that day by Mr. Graham. I don't think so either. And it could have been just Graham basically saying, all right, no more talk about this fucking little weasel rat thing. I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to deal with it anymore. <laughs> So, Chris, let's get into it, bud. Let's get the hell out of here for the night because my feet are going numb here in the BTCRF. What says you, Chris, looking at everything we spoke about tonight, what the hell do you think happened on this farm in the Isle of Man? So, at first, I had to say, if I I was leaning towards some sort of a poltergeist scenario like it had been mentioned because it was so fixated on the daughter... But given the information we have and the fact that Jeff was so close to Voiri and that Jeff always followed Voiri, even though Jeff wasn't seen but was always heard, I'm going to go ahead and say that the daughter has a split personality and she had Jeff as an imaginary friend and she brought him to life with her power and skill of ventriloquism. Hmm. So you even went a little bit deeper here saying that she did indeed have a split personality, which really darkens the whole thing here. Was she just doing this to act as a catalyst in order to get her family to move? Or was she indeed mentally ill? And remember, Chris, it's not just the ventriloquism. It's what the thing was saying. Remember my quote in the beginning of the show where Jeff supposedly said to the family, I could kill you all if I wanted to. Oh, fuck. That's right. And uh, if something was strangling those rabbits, who's to say that that something wouldn't strangle the parents? Mm, Because uh, (laughs) this is not good. This is not good at all. (laughs) I mean, I I don't know how Mr. Irving died, and I I hope it was due to natural causes, and I I hope he passed away in peace. But uh, Chris, uh, nonetheless, I'm with you. 100% this is indeed the work of Voiri, the 13-year-old ventriloquist, which, in my opinion, makes this story 10 times creepier than it would be if it was just this little rat talking. (laughs) I'm going to have to agree with you there. I would uh, rather have a ghost passing through my body than find out that my daughter was speaking in two voices the whole time. Speaking in two voices, killing rabbits all over the place. Threatening to kill you. Threatening to kill you. I mean, she's everywhere, man. And everything she's doing is dark and evil. Jesus. I I just had an odd thought, too. Being uh, that it could have been the daughter... (laughs) What if the daughter was just possessed by a demon? It would also explain the rock throwing and not seeing the banging sounds and and whatnot, because obviously the daughter couldn't fool her own parents into knocking on a, on walls and throwing rocks, with, you know, without seeing her do it. Ugh. Maybe I mean, something. None of these none of these scenarios are very good, are they? Because if she was indeed possessed, perhaps she herself was Jeff. Voiri was possessed by that 80-year-old Indian man from New Delhi. 
every scenario here, there's nothing here that's not scary. So some <laughs> shit's going down. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, if uh, she is possessed by this demonic entity, those little 13-year-old hands would definitely have the ability to asphyxiate each and every one of her family members. And we also know that people who are possessed can also speak in different tongues. Including mongoose. <laughs> or gerbil. <laughs> or, or gerbil. But, uh, Chris, that's it, man. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I end up really liking this story because of how eerie it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is very interesting. But, uh, Chris, let me give the rundown and we can get the hell out of here for the night. If. Whoa, no, no, no. <laughs> Jeff, why don't you hit me with it? If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with us on Instagram at the Between the Cracks podcast. Facebook's done for me, bro. I'm, I had to go on there to uh, get some pictures today, and I started getting pissed off immediately. So uh, I'm off. <laughs> so I'm not even. If you decide to write us on Facebook, uh, Chris will get the message. But uh, I'm done with that. Uh, and also, Chris, I wanted to mention, I just opened up a new uh, merch shop on TeePublic, but we also still have the one on um, on Teespring. So if you want any BTC merch, put up some new designs, I'll put the links to both of those shops in the show notes as well. And also, if you would like to become one of our lovely patrons, please feel free to do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. Woo! So, with all that said, Chris, what do you say we wish the fine, fine people out in podcast land the fondest O of farewell? My name's Jeff.